You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. There are stories in the Bible that stand out above others. These legendary events are marked with valiant heroes who overcame impossible odds to claim the victory. This message is from part two of our series, Legendary, where we are learning about the life of Jonah, whose story is more than just a classic, it is legendary. And now, here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. So we are in the series called Legendary. This is week two. Last week we talked about Jonah. Today we're going to take some time to talk about a legendary character indeed. He's a, he's a giant slayer. He is, he's a man who's known for many things. He killed, the scriptures tell us, a, a bear with his own hands, a lion with his own hands. This is the, the man of men. I mean, this is the coolest guy ever. His name is David. And when we say David, it usually uh, comes along with another name, right? So it's David and Goliath. David and Goliath. I referenced my felt board last week, remember? I talked about the fact that growing up I went to Sunday school and we had a large green felt board. And, and on that felt board we would put these Bible characters, or teachers would rather. And, and I mentioned how Jonah was one of them and how this whale, this larger than life whale... Who, who was actually, the, the, the felt piece for him was larger than the entire world, um, which was funny in and of itself, was up on the board. And, and another large character to me that jumped out was David. And David lived, I guess you could really say, David lived quite an epic life, didn't he? Yes? Yes? Good. The more you engage me, the more I think I'm going to engage you today. Just one of those days, all right? Uh, David lived quite an epic life, yes? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, not only was he uh, killing animals with his own hands, which meant that he was strong, he also was killing um, giants, which meant that he was brave. He also was anointed to be king when he was a teenager, took over an, an entire nation, the nation of Israel, and is known as uh, one of the greatest kings ever, even to this day. Shrines made to him and, and songs sang about him. He's, he's got an entire book of the Bible, which he, he authored almost all of all of which the Psalms, where it's just filled with songs and poems that he wrote about God. This is maybe just an, the all-around man's man. I mean, he's just awesome. He's, he's a guy that, he, he's a man that guys want to be, and he's a, he's a guy that women want to be with. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he's, he's soft, and, and he's gentle, and he's, he can write poetry, and he plays a harp. Like, who plays a harp? If you're a dude and you play a harp today you may not live very long. Like, you might not live long enough to get to your next harp practice. they have harp practice? I don't even know. David plays a harp, and he's proud of it. He walks around with a harp strapped to his back. He's like, what's up, guys? Just here to play the harp, right? And they're like, oh, you're a wimp. He's like, oh, I also kill giants and animals. So you're like, oh, you're pretty amazing. And I mean, in fact, he is the, um, he, he is the, the icon that Michelangelo used to, to mold the, the statue of David from. He says this is the, the perfect man. The, this is the picture of a man. This is, he's an icon. He's the perfect human male. David and his story truly are legendary. Truly they are legendary. Because while it's true um, that he was a leader, he was also a king. And while it's true that he was a king, he was also a warrior. I mean, so much so that he traveled around with a group that the Bible calls the mighty men. Now, don't confuse that with the merry men. That's a completely different story and not a true one, okay? The mighty men. It talks about the exploits, and the, basically their exploits are this. There's not a lot of them. They go and they kill everybody. That's the mighty men. These are amazing individuals, right? 
But what's interesting about the life of David is that when you separate out the legendary from the humanity, you're left with the depravity. You see the true sinful nature of David when you separate the legendary from the humanity. And that's what I want to do today. I want to talk about the humanity in a way of David. And just to set you up, last week was, was kind of intense, um, I think, as far as sermons go and preaching. This week is going to be a little bit more of a breather. And I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about David and some misnomers that I see. And then I'm also going to, at the end, do a little bit of practical teaching. Okay, so it's going to be kind of a preaching slash teaching. I hope you have a notebook. I hope you have a pen. I do think what we're going to talk about today has the potential to uh, kind of shape and mold your life in a positive way. Okay? Say, let's go if you're ready to go. All right. There we go. Thank you. Here we go. All right. So David, a leader. David, a king. David, anointed, a poet, a giant slayer, a war hero. Accurately, all these words describe David. However, you could also accurately describe David using these words. Murderer, adulterer, prideful, deadbeat dad, my favorite, Peeping Tom, <laughs> right? I mean, Peeping Tom's not my favorite, like in the sense like, yeah, I'm just saying that's my favorite one to call him, okay? I'm just, I just want to make that very clear. Um, and you're like, when was he a Peeping Tom? Well, the same time about that he was an adulterer. He, he sees a woman named Bathsheba taking a, a, a shower or a bath on a roof outside, which, by the way, I say she's kind of asking for it. All right, anytime you take a bath outside, like, hey, everybody, welcome to the neighborhood, right? So David's like, oh, wow, what is that? Oh, it's a woman who's taking a bath and doing the things in a bathtub that you would do when you don't have clothes on. And so he says, I must have that. And he takes that and commits adultery. But it doesn't just stop there. He also has Uriah, who is Bathsheba's husband, and one of his mighty men, one of his closest friends, murdered. Has him sent to the front line of an army that he knows he can't win, doesn't send uh, replacement troops to him, and, and leaves him out in the middle of battle. He murders him. He has him killed. He's prideful. He's, he's a deadbeat dad. He's a, he's a peeping Tom. And this is the ugly humanity. This is the true humanity. This is the ugly humanity behind the legendary David. And, and when we see this, we can separate out the, the depravity from him. But what makes uh, this story of David interesting to me, there's, another, there's, there's a, a, a number of things that make it interesting. But one of the things that's really interesting to me about David is the Bible uses a specific phrase to describe David. Um, and it's very unique and very special and very central to David. It's not really said of anyone else in Scripture that we really know of. God uses a phrase to talk about David. And, and it is fascinating, despite the fact that he's a murderer, despite the fact that he's an adulterer, despite that he's uh, all these things. Scripture says something very unique about him. Look at this in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 21. If you have your Bibles, open them up. If you have your, your, uh, your apps, turn them on. You can follow along in Scripture on the screen. But Acts chapter 13, verse 21 says this, Then they asked for a king, being Israel, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified God and said, I have, these are God's words, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart who will do all my will. God says something very specific, very central, very unique, very special about David. He says that David is a man after his own heart. David is a man after God's heart. Now, 
I cannot tell you, to be honest, how many messages I have heard in my lifetime, okay, preached on this specifically. First off, I can't even tell you how many messages I've heard in my lifetime, period. Growing up in a pastor's home, it was like, hey, let's go on vacation. And that meant that we were going to, um, you know, wherever a buddy had another church. And we go listen to them preach for like a week. And it's like, wow, awesome vacation, you know. And um, or it's like, hey, we're going here. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Then I went to Bible college. It was like, hey, we know that you're training for ministry. Let's have church every day. And it's like, yeah, you know. And you hear a lot of messages. Let's just put it that way. And I don't know how many messages I've heard preached on this passage, what it means to be a man after God's own heart. But I can tell you this, nearly every single church in America does preach this message on Father's Day. It's like universal, like, oh, what are you going to teach? Oh, you can't teach anything else. How to be a man after God's own heart. It's Father's Day, be a man after God's own heart. But the fact of the matter is, I'm pretty sure we've gotten it wrong. I'm really sure because here's what we hear when we hear somebody preach about what it means to be a man after God's own heart. They say things like this, well, that means... To be a man after God's own heart, that means you're gracious. That means you're kind. That means you're full of grace. That means you're quick to repentance. That means you're loving. That means you're a worshiper. That means you're merciful. And those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. Those things all resonate within the heart of God. You understand that, right? But this is a very unique and very specific phrase that God uses to describe David that he doesn't use to describe anyone else. He says he's a man after my own heart. And so we can't just go kind of all willy-nilly if I can use that phrase, on Scripture and say, like, well, I think it means this. Well, what if you're wrong and it means something very specific? Is it possible that we've gotten this phrase wrong? Is it possible that we have missed the point of why God raised up David to be a king in the very first place? I mean, one of the questions would be, from, from my perspective, is how can you call David a man after God's own heart if he's an adulterer? How can you call David a man after God's own heart if he's, a, if he's a murderer? How can you call David a man after God's own heart with all these things? Well, I think we have to first off, we have to take it in and look at the context of when this portion of Scripture was said. This wasn't the first time this, that God had called David a man after his own heart. In fact, the first time we read it is in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13 says this, But now your kingdom shall not continue. Pause. This is Samuel, the prophet. He's speaking on behalf of God. Scripture would call Samuel the mouthpiece of God. So Samuel is the mouthpiece of God. He's conveying God's word to the people. He's removing Saul as the king. And Saul did not follow the commands of God. And so God says, I'm done with you. You didn't follow the commands. Samuel, hey, Sam, go tell Saul he's out. So this is what Samuel does. He walks up to Saul and says, your kingdom shall not continue, Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Interesting. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul didn't obey the commands, so he was removed. Now, now, follow this trail with me. Just follow the trail of logic with me for a moment. Sometimes we don't do that in church. So let's exercise that today. We want to ascribe um, what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Uh, we want to ascribe these things to King David, right? We want to say, like, well, King David was, um, yes, he, he failed and he felt, you know, he did all these awful, he did some awful things, but he was also, like I mentioned earlier, a gracious man. He was also, a guy, he, he, he killed a giant and he, he stood up, he was courageous. So maybe, maybe courage is what it means. To be a man after God's own heart, you've got to be courageous. And there's books written on that. There's, an ent there's entire books written around the idea 
that it means uh, to be a, what it means to be a man after God's own heart is courage. Now, courage is a good thing, and King David was courageous. But is that what it means to be a man after God's own heart? There, there, you could say, like, well, he was a worshiper. He was a poet. Maybe what it means to be a man after God's own heart, because King David was a poet, and, you know, he could write and he could sing, and the Bible says he danced naked before the Lord. So maybe that's what it means. Like, okay, don't exercise that here. Pause, okay? Just take that home with you and inside, all right? But... We, we, we want to ascribe all these things to King David. The problem is when God said that David was a man after his own heart, he wasn't talking about King David. David wasn't a king yet. David hadn't been anointed yet. David hadn't even, hadn't even slain a giant yet. You know what David was doing? Kicking rocks around in the wilderness watching sheep. The most boring job ever. Probably wondering is this what my life is going to be like? And, and, and on the opposite side of town, God's like taking out a king, looking at David and saying, that's a man after my own heart that I'm going to raise up. And David has no idea. And yet we try to ascribe all these things to King David. He wasn't a king at the time. So what does it mean then that David was a man after God's own heart? What does it mean? Well, something I can tell you is that David loved the Lord. And he loved the Lord with all of his heart. Scripture tells us this. He loved the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength. And by the way, his love finds its expression, and maybe this is most important, his love, David's love for God, finds its expression through obedience. That's interesting. David's love for God is found or shown or ex expressed through obedience. What's interesting about this is the book of John. John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, For this is the love of God. Pause. Whatever comes next is going to reveal really what the heart of God is. Right? So we're talking about the heart of God here. What is the heart of God? Pause. Here we go. That we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Uh, how many of you have children? Just, just raise your hand. Yeah. Some, somebody looked at someone else like they were really surprised, and it looked like they were married. That's funny. All right, anyway, moving on. I think I just caused a war. All right. Um, so the other day, I was spending time with one of my children. I won't tell you who, um, but I was spending time with him, and I said, uh, hey, man, you, you need to get upstairs. You need to clean your room. It's looking awful, you know. And, uh, uh, and he just kind of looked at me, and I was like, now you need to be obedient. You know, and we have a thing in our house that we, we ask our children to say, um, which is yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, or yes, ma'am. And so he, he, um, he said, yes, sir. And, you know, one thing that we've, I, I think, properly instilled in our kids over the last seven years or so, eight years, is they know they have to do something when they're told to do it. Right? So that's like the one thing I would say that we've gotten across in the last eight years of our existence with our children. Like, they know they have to do it. It's just like on what time scale or timetable it's going to actually happen. But they know there's going to be a consequence if they don't follow through with what's been asked of them. Is that, are you following along with me? Right? So they know they have to do That's not an option. But how many of you know there's a difference between doing something like with a happy heart or a happy disposition and just doing something because you have to do something. Big difference. On this day, this child of mine decided to do said chore but do it with 
not the best demeanor. And so he gritted his teeth and he, he clenched his fists and he put them at the side like he was like, I literally thought he was going to like blast off into space. You know what I mean? Like it was turning red down here. It was just going all the way up and steam was coming out of his ears. And, and he said, yes, sir. And he like stomped up the stairs and slammed his door. That was, the ex- that was like the exclamation point to the conversation, right? Slam door. So I casually walked upstairs and opened the door and sat next to him on his, his bed. And I, I tried to explain to him the difference between doing something that you have to do um, because you're asked to do it and doing something that you have to do because you've been asked to do it with a happy heart. Taking delight in what you're supposed to do. Take, being obedient isn't just following through with a task, but being obedient is following through with a task with delight. And I explained this to him, and so at the end of the conversation, like I thought I was like, oh, this is a dad moment, and I'm, you know, man, I'm being Jesus in this moment. I'm, I'm being awesome in this moment. You know, it's about me. And, um, and I looked down at my son, and my son, he looks, I, I said, so I want you to, you know, clean your room. This is like redemption time. Like this is, come on back, son, to the fold. It's okay. Put a ring on your finger. You know, kill the fattened calf. My son is home. You know, that kind of moment. And my son looks up at me, and with the fakest smile ever, is like, okay, Dad, I'll clean my room, right? And then I just slapped him. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. No, I didn't. I really didn't. <laughs> there you go. No, I didn't. But there's, there's a difference between doing something, being obedient, and then being obedient with delight. And that's what God's word says here. It says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That, that we delight in doing what God asks us to do. Now, what's interesting about David is David was known for his psalms. He wrote them while he was a shepherd, out in the field, playing his harp, him and the sheep, just writing songs about God. He loved to sing. He loved to dance. So let's, let's examine the Psalms to see what we can find about the desires of David's heart. Let's see if David's heart line up with the heart of God, and maybe we can accurately, accurately gauge what it means to be a person after God's own heart. Okay? So, Psalm chapter 1. Jump into Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his, and what's that word? Let's say it all together. But his delight, but his happiness, but his joy, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. We see here in the very first words of this book that David writes, the Psalms, is that David is already talking about delighting in God's word. Already talking about delighting and being obedient and following God's commands and his statutes. Meditating on God's law. This is a common theme in all of David's writings. Common over and over and over again. And the point is this. David wouldn't sing about his love for the commandments, about his love for God's word, if he didn't actually love them. David was a man who actually loved the commands of God. Look what I mean here. In Psalm chapter 19, another psalm written by David. Verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 37, once again, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will. 
God. I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. And then we could probably take the, the, the rest of the time that we have today to read Psalms 119 and point out over and over and over and over and over again how the constant theme is delighting in being obedient and keeping the commandments of God. David is a man who speaks highly of God's law. David is a man who, who loves the law and, and how he delights in God's commands, and he encourages others to have the same heart, a heart that is in love with the law, the word of God, and has a desire to obey with their whole heart, not in a burdensome way, but in a true way. Maybe we're starting to, to get an idea on what it means to be a person after God's heart. And, and I'll tell you another, another indication here. You know, David, uh, on his deathbed, when he was about to die, he prays a prayer for the new king, Solomon, which is his son. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of things that you could pray for your future son, or for your future king, who is, who is going to take over the throne from you, who is your son. There's many things that you could pray, you know. I would think you'd pray stuff like, you know, God, would you just give him wealth, and would you give him, would you give him good health, and would you give him a good wife? In Solomon's case, there's like 500 of them, but that's besides the point. God, would you um, protect him? God, would you protect this kingdom? God, protect my legacy. These are a lot of things you would pray over your son because you're revealing your deepest desires and, and your deepest um, needs that you have for your son to succeed, right? You're emptying out your heart to God. And, but notice what David prays when he prays for his future king, when he prays for his son. First Chronicles 29 says, Grant to Solomon, his son, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. David could pray for anything over this future king, for over his future, over his son. But what does he pray? Give him a heart for your commandments. In other words, let my son fall in love with your word. He could pray for anything. But of all the things he prays for, he asks for this. Interesting. Now listen to what God said to Solomon when he actually became king. God says this in 1 Kings 9 to Solomon. And as for you, if you walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. It's pretty clear from Scripture that God is, is seeking people who will be obedient to Him, who will take delight in being obedient in Him. But by now it should be very obvious that David was not only a person who was in love with the law of God, in love with the Word of God, but he was a person who pursued obedience with all of his heart. And, and so I would say, truly, to the best of my ability, dividing God's word and reading it and looking at it and studying it and seeking wise counsel, what it truly means to be a man after God's own heart, I'm not saying it doesn't have anything to do with being gracious or merciful or, or whatever. I'm just saying, based upon the understanding that we have of God's heart, based on the understanding that we have of David's heart, we can logically deduct that being a man after God's own heart means that you delight in doing what God asks you to do and that you delight in spending time in his word. That's what it means. And it's just not a man, it's a person. You want to be a person after God's own heart? Enjoy reading his word. Now, why is that important? Well, how would you like your marriage if only one of you were able to talk? How fun would that be? Some of you are like, really fun. 
really, really fun, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I should have said healthy, not happy. I'm sorry. How healthy would that be? Not healthy at all. Not healthy at all. I've been married to my wife now for almost 10 years. It's flown by. Just She's just, oh, she's just amazing, right? It's flown by. It's been a little bit longer of an arduous journey for her. But it's, to me, it's, it seemed like it's flown by. Um, what would it be like if I came home every day and I'm the only one who talked in that house? You know, that wouldn't be much of a relationship. Not one worth even mentioning. And, and yet that's what we do with God. We don't delight in reading God's word. We, we don't. And, and here's where the practical portion comes in. Because if we're to be a people that are um, people after God's own heart, if that's who we want to be, if that's who we're supposed to be, which we are, then we need to fall in love. Simply put, we need to fall in love with God's word. We, we need to be a people that love the word of God. Yes? Amen? Okay. Here's the problem. We don't read it. <laughs> we don't read it. You're like, oh, I love God's word. Really? When's the last time you read it? Well, the other day. Okay. Well, where'd you read? Oh, phew, I don't know. Like, I opened it up, and it was like, Haggai or something like that? Or Amos. That's what Amos, yeah. And then I got caught up in like Leviticus and all these weird rules. Okay, I don't know that, that I would count that as reading and studying the Bible. Most people, when they read the Bible, I think most Christians, when, they, when they're like, oh, I'm going to do my devotions, I'm going to read, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be disciplined, I'm going to do it, right? They'll, they'll sit down, they'll clear everything out, they'll pick up a Bible, and they'll just like, it's like playing the lottery, just like make the spin, stick your finger in somewhere, open it up, and just first thing that catches your eye, you read. And you're like, oh, I don't understand what that means. You don't read it in context. You don't know what book it is. You've never even heard of this book before. You know, and you're like, oh, I don't understand. I'm like, oh, that doesn't make sense to you because you're reading in the, you know, you're reading in the maps portion of the Bible. You know what I mean? Like you're all the way in the back. You're like, Samaria, okay, and what does this have to do with the... You're not even in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Like, or, or I talked to one guy one time. I led him to the Lord, and I was like, all right, man, well, the next time we get together, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about how to read Scripture. He's like, all right, awesome. Well, I might jump in on it on my own beforehand. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. He comes back. He's like, dude, I'm just so lost. And I was like, why? And he goes, well, you, you know, when I, you told me you were going to kind of like teach me how to read God's Word, I thought I would just do it on my own. And, and I know everybody always starts at the beginning, goes to the end. And I have this thing where I like to start sometimes at the end and go back to the beginning. And so I started with Revelation, and I'm just really lost. Like, there's a dragon, and there's like a woman riding around on top of a dragon, and he's a baby. And like, well, I'm really lost. I'm like, yeah, yeah, don't do that. That's not how you, you don't just like pick a place out and just start reading. Like you could do that. But if we want to learn to fall in love with God, maybe there's a systematic way to go about it. Maybe there's a way, maybe there's something that we could do to actually fall in love with reading God's word. If that's what it means to be somebody who's a, a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, then let's become that. We have to fall in love with it. Um, we're going to talk about that more in just a second. But before that, I want to come back to this point about David. The amazing thing about David, this is the thing that makes me thankful for God. One of the things that makes me so thankful that we have a God who knows us. You know, David or God could have set the bar of what it meant to be a man after his own heart like so high that none of us could have attained it. You know, God never said of Jesus, this is a man after my own heart. You understand that? God never said, this is a man, this is a man after my own heart. Well, then we would have been like, well, yeah, I'm not going to ever be able to do that. But God chooses an adulterous murderer to say, this is a man after my own heart. Why? Because even when he failed, 
Even when he was wrong, even when he was sinful, he got back up and continued to pursue God. Now, how much hope does that give you? How much hope does that give me? A lot more than if I was just trying to, like, here's the bar, what it means to be a man after God's own heart? Be perfect. Well, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to try. But the fact that God chooses David to be a man after God's own heart means that we can be a people who can become people after God's own heart. And it begins truly with seeking to be obedient and seeking to fall in love with God's word. So what I really want to do, what I want to do now is kind of shift gears just for the last couple minutes that we have. I want to, <clears throat> I want to um, practically teach you. So this is turning into like a college forum a little bit now, okay, where we are. And, and I want to teach you practically how to read the Bible, how to practically study Scripture. I think sometimes we, we go to church and we hear the pastor talking about Scripture and we're like, gosh, I wish I knew how to like, study that or read that and come up with this stuff. And, and sometimes you hear a pastor talk about hearing from God and you're like, whoa, I wish that happened to me. Like, did the clouds part? And like, you know, he came down and said, like, excuse me, pastor, I've got more words for your church. You know, like, what does that look like? And, and uh, by the way, it doesn't look like that, but, um, except for everyone except me. But, um, and, uh, but yeah, so I want, I want to teach you how to fall in love with God's word, practically. And, and this is a really big deal for us because we want to be an Ephesians 4 chapter church, chapter 4 church. We want to be a church that is doing the work of the ministry. That's our theme for the year. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that, you know, God left to the church uh, apostles and teachers and pastors and preachers and evangelists. And then it says in verse 12 to, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I want to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I want to equip you to read God's word and study God's word and hear from God. If the only time you're hearing from God is when you show up here, that's a problem. That's a problem. Don't put me on that pedestal. Don't put any pastor on that pedestal. Don't ever do that. Like, oh, I go to church. I, that's where I hear from God. You need to hear from God tomorrow, too. And, and you're going to run out of podcasts pretty soon, right? I mean, we've all got so many of those things. Um, but you need to hear from Tuesday. And hear, I would say you need to hear from God every single day. And not only you, but your wife. And not only your wife, but your children. You need to hear from God every day. And some of you, you just can't even remember the last time you heard from God. Well, let me teach you how to do it. It's very simple. If you have notes, write this down. If you have a pen, write it down. Use your hand, use your neighbor's hand, whatever. Just write it down, okay? It's something I like to call journaling. Turn to your neighbor and say, journaling. Now turn to the other neighbor that you, this is obviously your second choice because you didn't choose them the first time. Turn to them and say, journaling. All right, <clears throat> this is really easy. This is not a scriptural thing, although it does involve the learning of scripture. If you're going to say, what we preach about today? My pastor preached about journaling. It's somewhere in the Bible. No, it's not. Okay, this is a method at which we train ourselves to hear from God. Okay, and it's a discipline. Reading God's word is a discipline. What I'm not saying is this. You're going to wake up in the morning and be like, yes, I can't wait to read the Bible. Now, there might be days like that. You might be one of those weird people. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. It's a discipline. I'm excited to hear from God. I'm excited to grow in Christ. But I'm not always excited to wake up in the morning and sit down with a pen, a pad, and a, and a, and a Bible and get to work. But I am always happy towards the end after I've heard from, from Jesus, right? And so this is the discipline. It's called journaling. Number one, you need your Bible. You open up your Bible, you set it down. You take out your notebook, your journal, and don't please, this cannot be the half-crumpled-up Snickers bar sheet of plastic that you have. Like, you need to get a dedicated journal. I don't have that kind of money. Well, swing by Walmart. 
like 30 cents, okay? If you don't have that, just hit up Seth or Pastor David and they'll give you the money from their own pocket. All right. Um, just grab a journal. And this is a dedicated journal, so you have a pen. And so at the top, right hand, left hand, whatever, one of the corners, I want you to write the day, the date, and I want you to write the book and the chapter. And listen, don't be super Christian here, okay? It's not about, like, the quantity of what you're going to read. It's the quality. And I would advise you, you're like, well, what book do I start in? I'm going to start in, like, Deuteronomy. Don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let's start a little more simple. Let's learn about Jesus. Let's just start there, okay? So I would advise you to start in the book of John. Start in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Take your pick. There's four of them. Pick any of those. Start there. And all I want you to do is I want you to read one chapter. A day. One chapter a day. Now, that's not all I want you to do. That's kind of a lie. I want you to start there. I want you to read one chapter a day, but it's, it's the quality of it, not the quantity of it. I don't want you to walk up and be like, dude, I know you told me, like, just read one chapter, but I'm so awesome. I read five every day. Oh, great. And then I would ask you, what'd you pull from it? What? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What? How do you expect me to remember five chapters in a day? No, that's the point. Like, don't do that. I want you to learn. I want you to grow. So we have our Bible, we have our pen, we have our journal, we've written down the date, and we've written down uh, the chapter in the book. And now set down your pen. And now we're going to do what I, mean, I like to call engaging the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, maybe this sounds weird because you've never done this before, but let's be honest, you haven't studied Scripture in this manner either. And one of the things that you'll find when you study Scripture is the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls him the Helper. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts us of sin. But another role of the Holy Spirit is that he illuminates Scripture to us. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. And this is a role that not many of you, I don't, I don't think many Christians really ever engage. They never engage the Holy Spirit. There's a great book written by Francis Chan called The Forgotten God. And it's all about the Holy Spirit. We talk about Jesus. We talk about God. But we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit too much. Why? Because he's kind of creepy. Like he's the Holy Ghost. Like what is that? A Holy Ghost? Yeah, and he lives inside of you. Oh, okay. yeah, I don't, I'm good with Jesus. Yeah, right? He can heal me. All right. Well, one of the jobs of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is that when you pick up the Word of God, which says of itself that it will never return void, that it is um, infallible, which means it's completely true, it's without error. It also says it's living, breathing, and active. So when you read God's word, you can expect God to speak to you. And the way that God speaks to you is through the Holy Spirit. He is inside of you. And he resonates inside of you. It's like he connects with the Bible and brings the truth to life for daily application. Now, do you do that when you read the Bible? Is that going through your mind? Number one, be conscious of that. And number two, like, expect that to happen. Expect it. So here's what you do. You pray. You got your Bible, you got your journal, you got your pen, all that kind of stuff. Put it down and pray. This is all you pray. Something along these lines. You have to write this word for word, something along these lines. Holy Spirit, I believe you're God. And God, I know you want to speak to me. So speak to me today. Speak to me from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Then you pick up your pen and you start reading. Now, John chapter 1, verse 1, here's a great example. It says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, maybe that might be confusing to you. And you're like, see, this is why I don't want a journal, because I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, what does that mean? The word, like a word was with God, but the word was God? Like, I, what? Perfect. It's a perfect example. Take your pen and write down your question. Write John 1.1 1, 1, and write, who is the word or what is the word or what's the deal with the word, right? Write it down. And then continue on to verse 2. 
and continue. And here's the thing. Anytime you have a question, write it down. Don't, like, Google it. Don't go and ask your sister. Don't, whatever. Just stop. Just write it down and continue. And anytime that you have a question, you may have 50 questions. Good. Write them all down. Write any question that pertains to this text. Write it down. Anytime that you're reading and something comes to mind, like, wow, I never really realized that about this, this scripture. Okay? Write it down. Don't miss it. Write it down. We're expecting, remember, we're engaging the Holy Spirit. We're expecting that what we're thinking about and what's coming to mind is coming to us from God. Right? Yes? Amen? Okay. Okay. Well, I am. All right. And so as you read, that's what I want you to do. And then if somebody's face comes to mind, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, I don't know. Somebody comes to mind, what I want you to do, stop, write their name down. Keep on going. If you have a prayer request that comes up, stop, write it down. Keep on going. And there's going to be days when you have a journal that there's pages that are filled. And there's going to be days where you're not going to have too much filled. But I can tell you this, the consistency and the discipline of journaling will change your life. And it will train you to hear from God. How? Because you're expectantly reading God's Word. We don't read God's Word with expectation. We don't. Otherwise, we would hear God a lot more clearly. And hearing clearly from God, I mean, is there anything more important that we could do in our life than hear from God? No. So, let's train ourselves. Now, your task is not over. After you finish this chapter, you place down your pen and you thank God. God, thank you for speaking to me today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're still not done, though. I told you this is hard. Then I want you to actually look at the names of the people that you wrote down that God brought to mind. And I want you to pray for them. God, today, you, you know, you brought so-and-so up. I don't know what's going on with them, but I pray that you be with them and give them strength. And whatever they're going through, I just pray that you bless them and help them and whatever. Pray for all those people. And you're still not done. I want you to call them, text them, Facebook them, Snapchat them. I am them. I am? I don't know. Is that? Yeah. Go to LinkedIn and do, no one uses that. All right, whatever. Um, just use that. Whatever means you need to use, go use that means and let them know, hey, God brought you to my mind today when I was doing my devotions. Just want to let you know I was praying for you. Nine times out of ten, I'm telling you, that person's going to say, that's crazy. You have no idea what's going on in my life right now. And you shouldn't say like, whoa, that is crazy. You shouldn't be surprised at all. Why? Because God laid it on your heart. Do it with expectation. Next thing, when you have questions, don't just let them be questions. This is why it's so important that you're involved in a small group, a sea life group. This is why it's so important that you've put a wolf pack around yourself, right? If you're like, a wolf pack? Sorry, you've got to go back to an old service. I'm not rehashing it right now. <laughs> That's why it's so important that you have an alpha wolf in your life. That's why it's so important that you surround yourself with accountability. You take those questions to them and you say, Hey, I was reading through John chapter 1, verse 1. Who is the word? And what's the word? And I don't understand. Here's a couple questions. And then you, when you get the answer, you go back in your journal and write down the answer. And you tangibly now have grown. You now know things about God's word that previous to today you did not know. You now are encouraging other people. You're reflecting the heart of God. You're encouraging other people. Because God brought them to mind. You're in a place where you heard God ask you to talk, pray for them. And now you have prayer requests, and you begin praying for these prayer requests. You begin giving them to God, and now you have some expectation. Not just like, oh, God, you know, I'm going out to play softball today. Give us a big W. Amen. You know, like, you're actually praying for, like, literal, real things. I'll tell you who's a master of this. My wife. My wife is an amazing uh, journaler, just amazing. And, you know, when, when we were back in college, before we were married, man, this is some, I don't know, 15 or 16 years ago, and um, 
her, her brother, he was 12 years old at the time, he, uh, he had Hodgkin's lymphoma, so a form of cancer, and he had a, a really large, inoperable tumor behind his heart. And it's interesting, my wife ran across her journals from that portion of her life. So she's been journaling forever, obviously, right? Doing what we're talking about for, like, ever. And she went back through and she saw her prayer requests about Caleb, and she saw the questions that she was asking during that time, right? Reflecting the situation that she was in, her family and her brother. And what's amazing is now she can pull out those journals, and her brother's in remission. He's doing amazing. He's, he's, he's healthy, very, very healthy now in the age of, like, 22 or whatever it is. And, but now she can go back and she can see the prayers that she prayed and how they were answered. And she can chart and track the faithfulness of God. How amazing is that? She had questions that she just couldn't answer. And now those are all filled in. All these prayer requests are now filled in with the date that God answered them. What's even more amazing is she had this conversation with the woman who um, her son had cancer. And Vanessa was talking with her and and the, and the woman said something of the, you know, to the effect of, like, nobody knows what I'm going through, and no one even understands what's going through my mind, and, and I'm questioning God, and no one even, no one even gets that. And Vanessa says, I, I understand, kind of. I kind of do. She said, are you, are you asking this question? A question from her journal. Are you asking this question? A question from her journal. Are you going through this? Now, I don't know how, you know, it's, it's going to work, but I can tell you God was faithful. In fact, here's when I prayed about something, and here's when God answered it. Date in time and year. You know what I'm saying? That's journaling. You're, you're following the faith. You're tracking the faithfulness of God through years and years. I've had a journal for years too, and, and it's amazing when I look back four, five, six years ago how God was preparing me and my wife to plant covenant. How God was preparing us. I didn't know that I was going to plant a church. I, never, I didn't know people did that stuff. It's crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you leave a job that pays you and go somewhere else and do the opposite of that, Right? Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself through that? Why would you be a pastor like that? And I could see how God was preparing my heart to do exactly that. I, could, I didn't know it at the time, but now I look back and I see, wow, God was stretching me. God was training me. And you see this amazing thread of, of God and how he's weaving everything together for his own good. Thank you for listening to this message from part two of our series, Legendary, at Covenant Church. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this.